everybody. This is a solo Spencer episode of the DMGT podcast, and I'm Spencer alone. Uh, Danny uh, was very busy with his social media empire of being the face of DMGT, and uh, I don't remember exactly why he can't make it today, but I am assuming it's because he's like shaking hands with some sort of social media cabal and you know hopefully earning us some some new followers with whatever type of thing he must do in order to get access to i don't know the thetans of social media uh check marks something like that um so he's not going to be here today but you're still going to get a little bit of a podcast it's unfortunately going to be with me instead of with us both so today we're going to hit on a couple topics that I had been keeping in my back pocket the off chance that Danny was the one that couldn't make a, a recording instead of usually it being me. And uh, those topics that we're going to talk about, you know, five to ten minutes each, just going to be a quick and breezy one. This is a lunchtime podcast for all of our listeners. Make a sandwich. Have this on. And by the time that you've eaten your sandwich and sat there thinking, oh, well, now my lunch is over and work is back. When you think there, that's probably about the time this podcast will end. Hey, Danny here. Uh, The nice part about being the one that edits and uploads the podcast is I can retroactively modify the episode. Uh, Spencer lied. This episode went over an hour long. Enjoy. So... We got three topics. First topic I'm going to talk about is my personal ranking of concert venues in Chicago that are above around 500 people capacity, but below kind of the United Center, Rosemont Arena amount where, you know, we're tipping well past eight or nine, 10,000. So kind of the, the mid-sized venue where a bulk of you know, the relatively well-known-ish bands come and play in the city. And the ones that I get most excited about when I see that my favorite bands are coming or my favorite artists are coming and what venue they end up uh, going to. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Rings of Power will have a little bit of spoily conversation uh, with myself about Rings of Power because I finished it. I watched it. I kind of chose Rings of Power over watching or starting the House of the Dragon. I was like, well, I only want to have one fantasy series at the moment. I'm feeling a little nostalgic. Just got the 4K Blu-rays of the original trilogy. I personally pretend The Hobbit doesn't exist. And wanted to talk about how what I thought about season one and why I feel like I'm a very good audience member for this show and why I think, you know, there's other types of audience members for this show where there's just going to be no way they're going to be happy with it. And also people uh, that just like it because it's cool and it looks cool and the acting's pretty good. Talk a little bit about Rings of Power, how that uh, set up a season two. Um, And then the final thing that we'll talk about today for a little bit is that I am a hypocrite and about... 20 minutes after we finished the pod last week or the last time we had a pod and I said I would not spend money on buying 
Battlefield 2042, I did spend money on buying Battlefield 2042. And this solo episode is an excuse to talk about Battlefield a little bit more. I know we always kind of touch on it when we're talking about shooters, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about the battle and the field. This would be where we would put an ad break because I gave you the intro. So if Danny, if you're listening to this, I know you are because you're going to still edit it. Um, I hope that skipping the podcast got us some, some ads because, uh, you know, life is expensive and money is really the only thing that makes life less expensive if you have more of the money. So Danny, hope that all went well, whatever you had to do to get Helix mattress to throw us a bone. Or honestly, like Uller, Sleep.me, like I'm probably your biggest fan, Contigo, Audio-Technica, all those places that should happily give us money uh, would go right here. So venues in Chicago. Um, I think if you listen to this podcast, you understand that we're in Chicago. And if you listen to this podcast, you know that we really love going to concerts. Something that uh, me and Danny have always cared about, loved, done together ever since we kind of became friends back in the day. Um, kind of having a concert for either either of us to be excited about and the other person to come along and have a good time too has always been a really great thing. And we've spent quite a bit of time in different venues. And, you know, I got some thoughts. I got some opinions about them. So first, I'm going to get to kind of just the general getting through some people or some, some venues that I wouldn't put in my top three. And then I'll give you my top three at the end. And if you're in Chicago, maybe you have a different opinion. And if so, um, tell Danny about it on social media. And if you have the same opinion, again, Danny on social media, probably the best place to go. I'm mostly just a podcast ghost. Um, and if you're not from Chicago and you ever think, oh, maybe I should come to Chicago because this band that I really like is playing and they're not playing where I'm at. And I want to go to Chicago anyways. You know, maybe this will help you out and make that decision easier or harder. Easier if it's one of the good places, harder if it's one of the bad places, because sometimes you got to go to a shit venue to see people that you want to see. And it's just part of the concert going experience. So getting to the honorable mentions are just the mentions, let's say. The, the, Riv, the Riviera, the Riviera, I don't know how to say it. The Riv is what most people call it when we're talking venues in the city. Um, has had a bit of a resurgence. So in my first couple of years in Chicago in 2013, 2014, uh, the Riv was firmly and almost instantly on my list of venues I never want to go back to. Uh, it, I went to a show. I don't even remember exactly which show it was because I was so frustrated in the experience, kind of overshadowed everything else the sound was terrible it was really just it sounded like shit i went to a couple shows there um either it would be blown out or it would be too quiet or sometimes in the same concert it would feel like it would flip and flop depending on i don't even know what so it's a weird venue i think in some ways just generally to sound engineer it's really really tall um it's it's kind of immediate as well like a lot of the 
capacity in the theater is how they set up the different levels and 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 balconies and all that. Um, and so sometimes you can get to a show and you can just realize like the sound engineer might be a little outmatched uh, or the mix is a little different where they're at versus where most of the people are at. Um, and sometimes it used to sound like shit. Now, I will say in the last two years, seen a couple shows there and was pleasantly surprised with all of them. Uh, the the Riv was where we went and saw Denzel Curry. And I mean, that shit was loud in all the right ways. The bass was hidden. Uh, the vocals were clear. Um, and, and it was surprising. I was, I was really worried about going to see someone I really loved, Denzel Curry, at the Riv. And the sound is now pretty dang good in a couple concerts I've gone to um where you know it used to be really terrible so the riv is kind of getting close to being in like my top list of places that i enjoy uh going to concerts the staff usually is pretty chill which is always nice uh especially considering some of the other uh ones on my mentions list where the staff is one of the main reasons why it's terrible um the riv treats you like a person and expects you to be a person and if you're not they'll get rid of you. But if you're just enjoying a show, they're kind of just going to let it happen. And I think that's like one of the best kind of balance points of a venue is, hey, people are enjoying a concert, doing concert enjoyment things. Just chill out. It's going to happen. No matter what you do, it's going to happen. You're just creating a situation where people are going to have to do dishonest things to get what they want in a concert. Um, and the Riv, the Riv at least doesn't do that. Uh, Man, those bathrooms, they need to be finished. They're pretty terrible. And it's so many stairs. So that's the Riv. Um, decent, getting there. Uh, would love to see them finish their renovations so it's um, you're not like peeing on a wall that's plywood with holes in it <laughs> uh, and just worrying like about the structural integrity of this weird basement you have to go to. Um, next on the list in, in kind of the the mentions is the Concord Music Hall. So the Concord Music Hall is a venue that seems to more often cater to music that I'm not as interested in. So I haven't had as many opportunities over the years to check out Concord Music Hall. But I did a while back in the uh, Crazy Sexy Beautiful, um, Crazy Sexy Savage, sorry, Kelani era uh, saw Kelani play at Concord Music Hall. And it was one of those shows where I just went alone, I think. I don't know if I had a, a person with me because it was kind of a last minute thing. I, I couldn't get my usuals like, hey, you should come. Uh, or I, I did come with someone and I'm being very rude. Could be my wife. I don't remember. Uh, it was too long ago. But the thing that really impressed me with Concord Music Hall was the sound. Um, it sounds really great. You can tell that they often uh, book dance music or or very beat centric music, uh, house music, all sorts of uh, kind of like mini rave types of things. It's a great venue for that type of stuff because man, they they thump it in there. Uh, it's a really weird venue in one sense, and that weirdness is there's pillars like in the thirds of the the venue, so. There's a chance that, you know, if you're not someone who comes early or you're not someone that pushes people around to get to where you want, which is most people at concerts, but if you're not comfortable doing that, uh, you can get stuck behind a pillar. And they're not like tiny pillars. They're like two feet 
wide and and <laughs> they really do take in every vantage point that's behind them in some capacity like there will be a moment where you're like are they behind the pillar um so that's that's like one thing that's a little weird there probably to hold the roof up so you know good on them for holding the roof up uh and in my recollection i do remember uh things being a little bit expensive drinks wise drinks are always expensive at venues in a major city but uh i do remember going oh for real all right and that's you know not always the case at other venues uh that are definitely on my top list but then overall um you know some music venues will sell you a can of beer for less than ten dollars and some won't concord doesn't really sell it for less than 10 and i'm talking a a bud light i'm not talking anything better than that um so keeps it out of my kind of top list i also don't go there enough to really give it uh a perfect rating or anything uh and next on my list is the argon ballroom the argon ballroom is the most up and down venue in my history of seeing shows in the city i have seen shows where the sound might as well not exist uh i'm looking at you the run the jewels concert about four or five years ago uh where it it was so quiet (laughs) that i felt weird like talking to the people i was with because i felt like i was interrupting the show in like a real way um so sometimes the sound can be really terrible there uh it is more often getting passable sound uh one thing about the argon ballroom that i do love is how unique it is on the inside it's this grand entrance that you walk through um it's really historic feeling really beautiful looking the staircase is awesome there's a bunch of bars around uh the weird like starry night dome the like kind of some sort of influence architecture of like the balcony stuff um it's a really weird one it's a really odd venue uh i've i've loved some shows there i've really hated some shows there um and it's kind of a it's a toss-up most of the time um i've recently hit up the argon ballroom for for two shows in the last couple months and kind of one show was uh, charlie xcx that was really fun i i think it was a great venue for that size crowd uh, I recently saw the Mars Volta there, and that was me sitting up in the balcony, which I hadn't done before, and that was really cool, just in terms of vantage point. But the the thing about Argon Ballroom is even when the sound is good or decent, uh, that venue is so tough to sound engineer correctly that often you're going to lose something. Might be the vocals, might be the lead guitar, might be the rhythm guitar it gets to a muddy point pretty quick just because of all of the, the echoiness of, of the way that dome I think works, maybe the stonework or the fake stonework. I don't know. Um, but it can be, it can sometimes not sound good. Uh, now depending on what you're seeing and I think depending on, I think it's byline banks opinion of the artist, they will have, really stupid rules about entry and they are very mean about how they go about enforcing those rules so i go to charlie xcx which is you know a concert where a lot of people are doing a lot of stuff to have fun let's say and that concert walk in 
basically they just you know go through the metal detector take your stuff out of your pockets and and get on your way not terrible that's fine but then i went and saw the mars volta and apparently the mars volta and their fans are just just criminals because in this one they were hyper intense about entry and they were really like aggressive about entry and they're basically just yelling at everybody that's in line information that you did not know that was not on the website uh, about what you can or can't bring in. And I, I should have taken a picture of this this uh, this little sign they have out front. And like basically, it's like as if they printed like on an eleven by seventeen piece of paper and just slapped it onto a sign. It's like that small in the writing for the Mars Volta show. They basically brought out their this is going to bring gang members sign that's the only way i could describe the things that they wouldn't allow for the mars volta show versus them not giving a shit for uh for charlie xcx it was like you can't have uh a face mask like you couldn't have a face mask at the venue it said no face masks on the sign this was not a because we hate we don't care about covid thing i think it's because if you're wearing a mask that means you're bad i don't know why uh cigarettes all good bring those in no problem nicotine vapes definitely can't have them those things are the devil uh and and they just had like a bunch of these weird rules about like what your clothes could or couldn't look like in terms of like and i it really unfortunately like it felt like they were trying to stereotype people that uh, like aren't just like white dudes like me in a lot of ways. Like, uh, and, and I think that's just a shitty way to be. And the staff is shitty about it and they're mean about it. They treat everybody as if just asking a question is the meanest and rudest thing you could ever do when you have no idea what to actually do at the moment. Cause they didn't explain anything until you got yelled at walking into the venue uh, getting out of the Aragon Ballroom sucks because there's only one exit, and it's just like feels like you're about to get stampeded if anything goes wrong. Um, the drinks are way too expensive. It's like fourteen dollars for like a twenty ounce beer, uh, and then sometimes they give you a shot for free if you pay that much. But still, that's like that's a steep price, especially if you don't want to take a shot but you want more alcohol. Um, it's kind of a bummer. There's always been a little bit of like conspiratorial thought with uh, Argon Ballroom that they have to be a front for something because it seems as if there's no investment ever in the theater um, to make it better or make it more accessible or make it uh, easier to enjoy going to. Um, it's, it's, it's very odd. It, it feels often like they're somehow cutting a corner in some way and then they're passing that on to the customer which is always fun. Love that. They never answer their phone, so you can't ever get information about the show uh, every time there's an Argon Ballroom show and you're on like the Chicago concert subreddit on Reddit. Uh, it's just like post after post of being like, hey, like, when does this show actually start? This, it doesn't say anything. I'm so confused. And then you call them and it just rings forever. They never answer. Um, very frustrating. I would love it if it was a good venue, it's like the only one in the city that is that size. So oftentimes like medium popular artists 
legacy artists that are doing like One Last Hurrah, like Mars Volta. Well, maybe One Last Hurrah. Who knows? Great show. They had it was awesome. Uh, but it's always a bummer because you don't know what you're gonna get when when Argon Ballroom is the venue, and you are most likely going to get really aggressive security people yelling at you at some point. Um, and uh, guess what? All of their rules uh, felt like they were trying to make sure people didn't smoke weed during the concert. And up on the balcony, <laughs> looking down on the bodies, uh, I would say like every person was smoking weed. Now, what I didn't see was people vaping weed. So it was just people ripping joints, uh, just heavy, big ass joints. Uh, this one guy maybe smoked like 10 humongous joints like i guess they'd probably more be like a blunt with the size and just the flame of them uh and the whole place smelled like weed and i felt like everyone at the balcony got a little stoned because it was so much so it's like don't know what they were trying to stop with the idea of uh not allowing vapes in or face masks or like weird hats i don't know it's very just very confusing and the way that they're enforcing those rules just feels uh it feels targeted and 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 that just doesn't feel good also they do not turn on air conditioning in that venue and in the mars volta people were very excited so they got there very early it was extremely oversold i would say to a dangerous level um they should not have allowed that many people in the venue and during the concert looking up at the balcony i saw no less than three people pass out and have to get uh basically like crowd surfed out of the crowd so that's always scary to see and it wasn't even people like jumping around a lot that the the mars volta a little bit of an older audience at this point they were really you know hitting their stride 2003 2004 5 6 um so you know an older ish crowd and couldn't take the heat it was really hot even up on the balcony eventually someone just forced open a window up there and we had some relief on the balcony but Truly crazy how dangerous the situation can become at Argon Ballroom, um, especially for a show. Like, literally everyone was just standing and bobbing their heads. A couple little tiny moshes broke out here and there, but it was like a very, like, watch the musicians play type of show, and still people were passing out from how insanely hot it was and how packed they packed it in. Uh, I, I felt like it was irresponsible, and yeah, it sucks. Love the dome, but... This just everything else can be pretty upsetting. Um, the Vic uh, is another venue. I don't like it. <laughs> Every time I go to the Vic, like my first thought is, oh, did they bring the security people from Argon Ballroom over here? Because y'all are mean. I'm just trying to get into a concert. Like I got shit in my pockets. It's out. Just like chill. Like come on. Uh, Sound usually is bad. Um, I haven't really seen a concert there where I haven't felt that way in in my time. Uh, though some people that have been to the Vic more recently than I have said like the sound was pretty good. But you know, eh, to each their own with sound at concerts. I'm pretty specific in that I want it to be loud so that you know bass moves your body a little bit, make you feel it, and I also want it to be clear so you can hear what the singer or artist sounds like. Um, and sometimes at the Vic, you don't get either of those things. Sometimes you get one of those things. Um, it's a weird venue, kind of how it's set up is maybe part of that problem. But I usually avoid shows if it's at the Vic. Like I'd even 
prefer potentially going to Milwaukee and seeing seeing the same artist at at a Milwaukee venue, uh, a St. Louis venue, even um, somewhere that isn't the Vic, if if it's possible, and I have the ability to with whatever my schedule looks like, I'll I'll skip the Vic and I'll go to another city. That's how how much I dislike the Vic. Um, yeah, like man, staff doesn't have to be mean. That's the thing. Like unless the concert gets out of control. Which, like, at that point, yeah, you got to do what you got to do to keep everyone else safe. But, like, you don't have to be so intense from the start. Uh, especially because it always feels like you're in trouble for not knowing the rules, but the rules are not posted. Hate with that. Hate that. One of my least favorite things in life is breaking a rule that no one told you about. Uh, the Vic Argon Ballroom. Damn, do they love to do that shit. Uh, not cool. Um, not interested. Gonna skip most of concerts at the Vic. Uh, House of Blues. It exists and it's pretty good. Um, I've eaten at the restaurant uh, and it's food for sure. Uh, and the sound's good because it's a House of Blues. Like that's their whole thing. They're trying to make it uh, an enjoyable experience sound wise. Um, it can get really packed like really fast. It's not a big venue. It's probably closer to the 500 than, than, than anything. Maybe it's 800, something like that. But it you can feel every person in that venue because it might have the capacity that it says it has, whatever that is, but functionally, it shouldn't have that many people in it. Like just functionally, if you get there a little late to a, a House of Blues show, you will not be able to have a good vantage point. You will not like you might be like right up against a staircase. That happens a lot because there's a ton of stairs at, at House of Blues. Uh, the balcony area is pretty small. Um, and then that can just make everything tougher to deal with, like getting a drink, a coat check, everything. It just feels like it's, there's usually too many people in it, but it sounds great. Uh, one of my favorite Kohi shows was at House of Blues because they kind of have the thing where there's a little bit of a straight up pit, uh, and then there's surrounding standing room as well. And that pit can get real fun if uh, if the show's hitting the right way and the people of Chicago decide to actually enjoy themselves versus being uncomfortable in the Midwest, which sometimes concerts can go that way in Chicago because the Midwest is a weird place of people who are sometimes concerned about letting go, um, which is why everybody drinks so much. But uh, House of Blue is pretty good. Radius. So this is a new one. Uh, it's a pretty new venue. I think the last one or two years it opened up. Uh, it's kind of near Chinatown, which is which is always a fun place to to have a reason to go to before a show, get some food at some awesome restaurants. Uh, sounds pretty good. And it's really kind of interesting being at a, a new venue that does seem to have thought through kind of what's going to be the best experience of entering the 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 venue and leaving the venue. And, you know, it's it's one of the few venues in the city that is accommodating to to people who are still smoking cigarettes. There's there's you can go outside the venue uh, in a in a fenced off area and smoke some cigarettes. Which you know, hey, if people smoke cigarettes, they want to smoke cigarettes. That's fine. Uh, or go vape like like uh, some other people, like maybe me. Um, and that's really nice. Just just that little moment. Also, it's like nice to just sometimes get out of the sound of a concert. There was plenty of people just chilling out there. Because uh, you can still have your drinks, so that was a really awesome thing. Um, they got to figure out how they do merch. The merch line was insane uh, because there's really it's just it seems like it's placed in the wrong area of the venue. 
and really caused a logjam for for a concert that I went to for for a coed concert I went to where everyone wants to get merch because we're all freaks. Um, sounds pretty good. Uh, really clean sound. Like it's it it fills the space pretty well. It sounds pretty awesome. Very clear. It's modern technology. It's new. So like the benefit of that is definitely apparent. Uh, drinks insanely expensive. So fucking expensive. Don't even remember how expensive they were because I was like, I just don't want to look at this. Just give me the beers. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Uh, I'll give you the 25% tip like I always do. But damn, three beer, two beers are like 50 bucks with a tip. It's insane. Um, but Radius, hey, I want to try out again with another concert. Pretty cool. Um, Chicago Theater. So I haven't gone here. Most of the shows are really hard to get tickets to. Uh, but it's a historic and historic theater. Uh, so it's probably good. Uh, love the sign. That's all I got to say about that. So those are just my mentions, and this has already gone far too long. But now to my top three. My favorite medium-sized venues, venues over 500, let's say. Number three, the Metro. Some of the best shows I've ever been to have been at the Metro. Sometimes, and when it's a really good night, the staff doesn't give a shit about anything. And just lets people have a good time uh, without, you know, impeding on others' good time. Uh, and they they'll they'll let they'll let a sh- they'll let a show get pretty intense. They'll let some some thrashing happen uh, in pretty intense ways. And you know, it, it's a cool venue where when it's a really full sold out show, it feels very full, but it doesn't feel totally claustrophobic. Though it kind of gets close. Uh, and with shows that are maybe a little bit undersold it's really 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 fun uh because it is very very intimate you are right there uh with with the artists uh i saw say anything do a two-night show there uh first night was basically sold out it was their biggest album second night uh they played another album not quite as popular or actually they played two albums uh each night pretty insane um second night was a lot smaller it, it was definitely an undersold show um but it was a really cool experience because of the intimacy that that layout right it's like just one area for standing on the bottom a pretty big size balcony to kind of get it to that 500 or 800 kind of capacity it has uh drinks not super expensive like definitely better than most of the places on the list uh they'll they're they're i always like the staff there the bartenders are always really nice um super accommodating super helpful uh they'll even chat with you which is pretty rare for like a venue bartender usually they're pretty annoyed with everything um because you know it's gotta be tough to be uh, a venue bartender security is like one of the places where the security people are pretty kind and 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 accommodating and helpful so i really love that uh, for the venue, and um, it's just a well-oiled machine. That's what I always think about when I go to the Metro, is they know what they're fucking doing, and they do it well. Uh, if this wasn't in Wrigleyville, like, if this was in Wicker, if this was in Pilsen, if this was really anywhere else, uh, I would probably enjoy it even more. Um, I'm just not not a fan of, of the Wrigleyville world, uh, especially pre-concert, especially if it's a later show. Uh, it's just chaos to get to. It's chaos to navigate around. Uh, most of the food in that area is tourist food. Uh, all of the bars are filled with 
people that like Wrigleyville, um, which is kind of a not a Venn diagram that has overlap with me. Uh, not super into that. There's always a bunch of weirdly aggressive dudes just like trying to find tall people to intimidate. So that always happens when I'm in Wrigleyville or uh, entering or exiting the Metro. Um, but I really, really love the Metro. One of my favorite venues in the city. Um, could be higher if it was somewhere else uh, and not Wrigleyville. Um, my number two, Lincoln Hall. Lincoln Hall. I love Lincoln Hall. I love the staff there. They're always so awesome. And a lot of them are just huge music fans. So you can get in conversations with them about other shows in the city uh, and, and, you know, even see them at other shows in the city uh, and, and say hi to them. They're, they're really, all the staff is really awesome there um, from security on through. Uh, they have like a cool little restaurant like that you can grab some food uh, while still having a, usually they have a, a, a live stream going out of the venue in the little restaurant area um, where you can still see the, see the show as it's happening if you need a little break, which I really think uh, I appreciate more and more as I have less and less uh, uh, life energy <laughs> in my body. Um, and the real kicker of, of uh, Lincoln Hall is the sound is second to none. Uh, you go to a Lincoln Hall show, it's where Audio Tree does a lot of... Uh, it's, it's owned by Audio Tree. Uh, and they know how to fucking make that venue just sing. And it's always that you know you're getting with Lincoln Hall. Coupling that with just like how great the staff always is. Uh, coupling that with how intimate the venue feels for 500-ish people. Uh, oftentimes, it's uh, going to have people that are just this side of star- stardom for, for, for the, whatever they're doing. And it, it creates a lot of opportunity to actually you know, say hi to the people that are playing. Like um, One of my favorite music moments of my life was at the Lincoln Hall venue where I was seeing Xenia Rubinos uh, early on in kind of uh, her becoming more of a thing. And not only did she see tall white guy in the audience and at one point came into the crowd and, and we danced a little bit, which was very stressful for me, but very fun uh, and, and such a cool, unique experience I got to have. And then after the show, uh, you know, they were selling, she was selling the merch and got to chat with her a little bit, just generally, you know, just like less like, you know, uh, this is a star more like, Hey, like that was an awesome show. Like I really appreciated it. Can I buy some of your shit and just, you know, talk to you for a moment. It was, it was pretty nice. It was awesome. Uh, one of the better moments of, of music for me and man, rock rap, any type of concert, you know, it's going to sound good as hell. Cheapish drinks, pretty, pretty good selection of local brews. Um, so highly recommend if, if anybody's playing at Lincoln Hall, you should definitely choose to go to that show if you like them. Uh, and my number one in the entire city, Talia Hall. Talia Hall is the best of all of the mixes of venues. You know, it can get about 900, maybe a thousand. Uh, it has incredible sight lines, kind of no matter where you're at in the theater. Uh, you can be up on the balcony. I've been on the balcony for some shows. Uh, and that's that's just such a cool experience. It's just such a great view. 
um, such a beautiful space. And I've also been like in the thick of things in, in shows at, at Talia Hall and, and equally uh, impressed by, by the sound quality uh, and by the sight lines and, and by like the thing that Talia Hall gets right that like the Metro sometimes, you know, gets close to overselling. Aragon definitely oversells. Uh, where even when I go to sold out shows there, I feel like there's an opportunity to move around to get to the bar to to get to the bathroom and it doesn't feel like you're fighting a crowd both ways um so i really i i really appreciate talia hall for that and then if you get down to pilsen pre-talia hall pre-show not only do they have i think it's do six or whatever as their uh, bottom bar little restaurant that's like a really great restaurant there's a barbecue place there's pizza around there's uh there's amazing mexican food within walking distance uh it's just like a great oh man we got to show Italia hall that means we have a night we have a night we have a whole thing we're gonna go eat dinner we're gonna get drinks after like it's it's a really great location um pilsen probably the most underrated place in the city uh, even though it is pretty rated, I do still think it's underrated. It's an awesome, awesome neighborhood uh, with such good food, such a cool community. And Talia Hall, I mean, shit, it's the best. I love Talia Hall. Have some friends who are getting married at Talia Hall. <laughs> I'm very jealous of that. That's so cool. Uh, what a cool place to do a wedding. I can't wait to to be able to like poke around more in the venue during a wedding just to go to places that maybe I don't get to go to when when I'm just at a concert. So really really ex- love 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 Tally Hall. So that is my way too long ranking of uh the mid-sized venues of Chicago. So I'll make the rest of it brief. Uh he says uh <laughs> tr- tricking no one uh cuz I don't know how to be brief. It's a real problem of mine. Um, but Rings of Power. So it's over. Season one is over. And man, are people pissed off about it. Uh, you messed with the Tolkien's. Tolkien? Tolkien? Tolkien's. I don't know. Some people on YouTube keep saying Tolkien. Uh, you messed with the fans of the extended Lord of the Rings universe. And you, you're poking a dragon. Uh, these just the world of Tolkien is so precious. Uh, sorry, I uh, didn't mean to say precious, but it is. It's very precious to to people who are super deep into their love of the world. Um, people who you know read everything, every little scrap of paper that that uh, Mister Tolkien wrote down the Cimmerillion, the the histories, all of the the books. Um and Rings of Power is taking kind of all of that general, not mainline Lord of the Rings content, because I don't believe they can specifically do the Lord of the Rings, uh, or any specific thing that is Lord of the Rings, uh, except for like general characters potentially. Um so they're kind of taking all of this extra stuff, like extra stuff might even get people mad when I say that, but all of these things that aren't the main novels of the series, uh, you know, and stitching together a TV show from it. Um, 
So for people who are obsessive Lord of the Rings fans, super deep into the lore, uh, there is so many YouTube channels dedicated to just talking about Lord of the Rings stuff all of the time for 10 years. Literally, like twice a week, new video about the history of orcs or the orukai or the blue wizards or what the, you know, just so there's so much depth to the world that was created by Tolkien. And for all of those people who are that into Lord of the Rings, <laughs> they're probably not going to like it that much. They're messing with the timeline. They're creating characters. They're swapping when events take place. All of these things are happening in this show to try to make it a TV narrative, right? Uh, especially with some of the constraints that the Tolkien estate has on what they can and can't do, uh, or within the the purchasing of the extended works uh, that that Amazon did, um, you know, some things have to happen. And and the the showrunners of the show, um, in in a lot of interviews, have kind of mentioned that this balancing act is really really hard to do, and they really seem to try in a lot of ways, to capture maybe not the, let's call it, uh, devotion to the source material that a lot of people consider more so the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings trilogy as you know feeling extremely faithful, even though there are changes within the, the trilogy that aren't within the books. Um, with Rings of Power, I think they took... The Lord of the Rings, and they looked at it, and they watched it, and they thought, okay, cool, like, that's what people like. And then, you know, thankfully, <laughs> they had the opposite uh, approach with Peter Jackson's The Hobbit trilogy um, that I pretend doesn't really exist because, man, they suck. <laughs> they, they suck. Oh, man, I turned it off in the Battle of the Five Armies. After <laughs> the Five Armies were battling, I was like, I'm done. I'm so sick of these movies. Um but they kind of learned from that side of things that, you know, going kind of the full CGI route got fans really, really upset uh, on top of like extending a children's book to nine hours of movie with like almost nothing happening and creating a bunch and a bunch of extra stuff. They just added, you know, romantic relationships. They added characters. They took away characters. They uh you know every word in the book became a 25 minute aside in the movies like um so i think they they looked at those two things and they were like okay well you know filmmaking television making big budget film and television making specifically is so it's just in such a different place than from when the lord of the rings trilogy came out from when uh the hobbit came out right like uh and I think they've done a pretty good job trying to balance, you know, the modern age of ma of making movies, making TV shows with a high budget, where you do and will have some digital things uh, to, you know, save time, uh, save resources of locations, all that kind of stuff. Um, and occasionally, you know, there's there's some scenes where I'm like, man, I really wish that this felt more like it was actually in a place. Um, but those are pretty few and far in between altogether. I think they did some of the most incredible uh, makeup work for for the orcs and 
and like uh, different characters and their looks I think are really great. I mean, the dwarves uh, are, are looking so cool. Um, especially with, uh, Nisa, uh, the Durian's, uh, Durian's wife. Like, I think it's, you know, we, we, we really, and in the hobby here and there, you get some female dwarves, but like Lord of the Rings, you don't really get much of the dwarves aside from, you know, the bodies of the dwarves and in the minds of Moria and you, and you get Gimli, of course, who, who, you know, Gimli's the goat, uh, RIP that actor. Um, but I think for me being someone who loves the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, watches them once a year at least, right? Like, you know, it's fall season, it's Lord of the Rings season, it's a holiday movie, 100%. Uh, it's a movie to watch on Christmas, it's one of those. Um, I love them so much, I've watched them so many times, and every time I watch them, I appreciate them again even more, especially given the state of current big budget movies just being like looking shittier than the CGI of 2001. Um, just because, you know, there's just not as much of a care and artistry to CGI now. It's, it's just more of a factory, um, situation that has so many negative things to filmmaking, negative things to people who work in film. Uh, not going to get into that, but I also am someone who read the book, uh, who read the trilogy rather. Um, but I never went farther than that. I have always loved Lord of the Rings. Uh, from that perspective and i never really felt the need to go too deep into the rest of things and i think they were making the bet that most people are going to be closer to me than an obsessive tolkien tolkien fan of, of that knows every single thing about every single thing so I can understand some of the references that they make to the past of uh, the Lord of the Rings world, because of course, you know, I'm a person who likes to look at stuff online, research stuff online. So up and up to the run of Rings of Power, I was kind of brushing up on, you know, the second age, the first age, kind of understanding like, what's the layout of this part of time? Uh, and from there, like, so I don't really care that they made changes to when events happen. Like, cause I, I, I don't have the knowledge, so I can't be upset about it. Um, and to get it a little bit, uh, deeper into the things I really like about the show is I think that this, in a lot of moments, in a lot of scenes, maybe not, I wouldn't say entirely successful, but man, this feels like a Lord of the Rings. Like it feels, it gives me the same feelings that I feel when I watch, uh, the Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, Return of the King. Um, it gives me those moments of joy. Uh, and I think one thing that I think, uh, Lord of the Rings will always have over most other fantasy series on TV with high budgets, specifically if we're talking, uh, you know, concurrent Game of Thrones, right? Everyone's liking House of the Dragons. I haven't started it. I'm going to wait until it's over and then cook through them on Saturday mornings. But, uh, Lord of the Rings, Tolkien's stuff just has this simplicity that a lot of television has gotten away from. Elrond is a good guy, so he's always going to do good guy stuff. Uh, Galad, or the, the, the High King, bit of a douche, but he's not a bad person. Um, dwarves, good 
but stubborn. Like you understand it, and you kind of and 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 like Galadriel. Like uh, it's been really cool seeing the journey that Galadriel is on because we know where Galadriel gets in the Lord of the Rings. But we, you know, for someone like me, I didn't really even realize <laughs> that elves <laughs> could be this old. Like I didn't know how long the lifespans were. I was like, oh, I know elves like live a long time, but I think it's like maybe forever. Not totally sure. Um, but seeing like these characters and seeing these actors inhibit characters that we've seen in, in other Lord of the Rings content, um, for me has been really great. I mean, I, I think that Elrond, uh, is giving just an impeccable performance. It's not the performance of Elrond, uh, from Lord of the Rings. Like I think everyone kind of is playing the characters as more or less different people because they would be different because thousands of years have passed the next time we see them in Lord of the Rings. So, you know, even though elves live a long time, people still change is kind of what I think for those characterization differences that, that people can get upset about. Um, I really liked Galadriel. I think uh, some of the writing for that character was a bit uh, tough. Um, there's, there's a lot of hard headedness uh, that sometimes you're like, wait, but wasn't, isn't Galadriel like, one of the most powerful like elf warriors and like a high commander. Why, why, why is she so like this? Like sometimes you could get that feeling because, uh, early on in the season or most of the season, it's bowl in a China shop, uh, not a ton of nuance in, in Gladriel, uh, and seemingly having like very little diplomatic skill, um, was, was weird, uh, sometimes to kind of have like, uh, people tell her here's the right thing to do and her being like oh i didn't know that talking to people was a good idea instead of like yelling at them and you're like i feel like you do know that like elves don't really yell that much like people have told you that this was weird right so some of those things with gladriel were a little weird but i think ultimately i i enjoyed the journey the character went on uh yeah elrond definitely number one for me i'd put him in an emmy conversation uh i don't think he'll get traction there just because uh the role is pretty restrained like Elrond is a more let's call it a classical elf where they don't really get too hyped up about things they're pretty level-headed most of the time but the thing that this show nails is the love between friends um there's some beautiful moments of friendship of husband and wife like i the the there there's a scene with uh Nisa and Durian uh, that is just a sweet, beautiful moment of people who are married. And it wasn't even like that big of an exclamation point in the scene. It was just like, hey, we're here. We got, we got this. We can, we can figure something out together. Um, there's a little bit of like Lady Macbeth vibes there towards the end of the season, which I'm kind of interested in. I think that's fun. Um, but I think a lot of the moment-to-moment writing and dialogue is really strong and made me feel like I was in that world that Peter Jackson created f- through film. Um, some breathtaking, true, real-looking set pieces, not just a green screen uh, that actors are standing in front of, though it occasionally crops up. Uh, definitely, you could tell some pickups had to happen and they had to get creative here and there. Um, it's slow and I think that's a legit criticism. Uh, there's only really like two moments of action in eight episodes. 
and they're like this thing costs like three bajillion dollars to make <laughs> and sometimes i'm like well i mean it's gonna be like five or six five seasons or something like that they have it all planned out makes sense that this is going to be an expensive season because they built a lot of these places it seemed um which i think is really cool when they do use cgi it's pretty well done um uh for for a television budget uh and television production timeline i think it, it looks pretty good um i'm not upset about any of the reveals that happened i'm excited to see what they do with all of them um you know like is the dude that fell from the sky gandalf well he said follow your nose so that could be that it is or maybe because that's such timeline off maybe that's just the thing that those types of wizards say who knows i don't know how wizards work i'm excited to see um the main point that i will say on this show in terms of the slowness is occasionally it gets too saccharine and sweet for its own good um love some of the hardfoot hobbit stuff but i also got really tired of it because i i don't know it just didn't vibe with me that much uh i like some of the things uh i like the main little hobbit uh she's cool um she's coolish i I, i'm excited to see where her character goes as, as they go on this journey together can't wait to see how they make her friend come because definitely her friend is the sam to the frodo uh and i'm I'm excited to kind of see how they're going to play with that type of relationship um you know that that is very familiar to to lord of the rings lovers um i'm excited for what the fuck's going to happen to numenor uh but the thing about it that is totally fair and accurate is like this is a whole season and this is as far as we got like they just made a couple of the rings right at the end Okay, well, I guess this is kind of more so a prologue than anything else, getting us into the world, getting us into the characters, and I think they accomplished that well. Would have liked to see it at, you know, 10 episodes, and maybe the season ends a couple steps further along, but they're already in production. Hopefully we see it, you know, within 20 months instead of two or three years that that, that can sometimes happen with tv nowadays um but i really really enjoyed it it's it's definitely one of my favorite shows of the year that i've seen um it feels good to be somewhere where you know that you know good people are good people because they basically show you that they're good people with all of their actions and you know that bad people are bad people because they show it with their actions and in a world where you can't know if someone you're talking to is a shitty person or not until you like dive in on their fucking instagram or something and it's always so hard to navigate how gray everything is it just is nice to remember that when you you're thinking about the hero's journey or heroic stories or um fable type storytelling that they exist and they're so powerful because everyone deals with a lot of gray in their life and sometimes seeing kind of an unadulterated version of good can feel nice in in a world where that seems to not often be the case um so yeah loved loved it i had a really good time like i just uh i really enjoyed it i i i know it's slow i know it's sometimes a little boring i know it's sometimes a little like too sweet 
But yeah, I like I like my Lord of the Rings kind, and it's nice to watch a kind show of prestige TV, and not always have every every single TV show have to be like super intense. Um, it's just kind of a vibe. Like, and I I was in it. I was in it for the vibe. Uh, and I will briefly <laughs> try to talk about Battlefield 2042. So I'm a I'm I'm a shitty hypocrite. Last episode that we released, I said, I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to spend money. They haven't earned it yet. Blah, 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 blah. I instantly bought it. Because saying that out loud made me go, well, I mean, I literally turned on my PlayStation once a day. And for like a month, I would like turn it on, look through my games, look through the store, look through the PlayStation Plus 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 collection, and try something out and just go, yeah, I don't want to play this. This sucks. I'm not interested. Like even the super low bar for playing some of these games with the the premium subscription uh, was even like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to play this. So that's been happening a lot. I wanted to, you know, just have something to do with some of my evenings when I don't have anything else going on. Uh, when when Christine might want to be watching uh, a show or a movie that I don't want to watch, you know, kind of have a, a a thing to play just to kill some time. So I bought Battlefield 2042. And I've been playing it a couple nights a week for the last week or two. And I know the launch was terrible, but that's kind of Battlefield's thing. Launches are always terrible. They always are putting out like a half-baked version of the game. But at this point, it feels really nice. Gunplay is great. Uh, the There is a community there. You're not going to wait to get into a game. Um, and it can create some of those moments that only battlefield can do right the the moments of revolution where you know a huge hurricane or tornado comes and rips through and if you're in a parachute you get just launched just yeeted um you know the the intense teamwork required to be successful in that game is is second to none uh and and it and it has a lot of those moments where because your squad is communicating and i will say i'm a I'm a person that everybody hates in the sense of I don't have my mic on because I don't want to talk to strangers on the internet because, <laughs> again, you don't know if you're talking to shitty people. I'd rather not engage. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a big spotter, big squad uh, squad leader where I'll say, hey, let's, I see we're all close to this one. Let's go to this one. Let's take this, uh, let's, let's take this conquest. And those moments uh, have been a lot of fun. Um, it's kind of nice. There's not a ton of guns to choose from, which for, you know, Call of Duty, for uh, Warzone, there's just a gluttony of guns and there's always a shifting meta. And if you don't play that game for five minutes, your loadout will make you lose a gunfight most of the time, even if you have the jump on someone, just because the, the power dynamics of having so many weapons, tuning so many weapons, balancing so many weapons is nearly impossible. and with Battlefield, there's a much more limited number, or at least maybe I didn't like buy an expansion and there there is more guns, but kind of the base game has uh like four four or five options in each kind of major gun category. Um there's different types of specialists that can have different types of, you know, assault, support, medic. Uh some of them have like the person I play, you can shoot people with a little health gun and they get 
health and then you can also just shoot them on the ground and people will randomly just walk over and pick them up when they need to so it's really cool you can set up like effectively uh uh you can create like a fixed position to attack from if you have someone in your squad that has like a a a spawn beacon uh you can throw down you know an ammo crate so everybody can load up throw down like all of your freaking health packs so that as people get hit they can just walk and instantly get healed like uh there's a lot of fun interplay if you're playing well together with a team i think that's really fun like that's why battlefield has always had a special place in my heart that's why i'm always excited for a new one even when they come out and they're bad and like usual you wait about a year on a battlefield game if the community doesn't completely collapse which does sometimes happen with their releases because they are so bad so often um but you know there's people playing it if you're looking to get to warzone 2 if you're looking to get to call of duty and you just need something to play um you know it's 30 bucks usually right now i wish it was 20 i probably would have been happier if it was 20 but i'm getting some time out of it while i'm waiting for warzone 2 to take over my social life um and yeah so that's hey battlefield 2042 I bought it. I am a hypocrite. I always am a hypocrite. Whenever I have very strong opinions about things I won't do, usually I instantly like it when I do it anyways. So um, thanks for listening. This is far longer than I was intending it to be. Uh, I'm sorry about that. But this is the end. Bye.